Welcome to another episode of Wheel Adventures. I'm your host, Mark. This is episode 12. And this episode, I'm going to talk a little bit. It's going to be a fairly short episode, but uh, I wanted to give some tips about communication on the trail. I've used pretty much all of the uh, types of communication out there, and I'll tell you right up front that uh, if you haven't gotten your ham radio license, you would be best served by doing so. It's just by far the, the best way to communicate in terms of the, uh, the efficiency of it and the versatility of it. And frankly, it's just plain fun. So I actually studied to get my ham license uh, way back in, I want to say it was about 90, 91, 91 or 92. And uh, way back when, uh, at that time, there was, as there is, as there are now, there are separate uh, classifications of license. Back then, there was technician, there was novice, there was general, advanced, and extra. So there were a lot of categories. Now things are simplified uh, in several ways. The, uh, the categories are technician, general, and extra. I have a general license back in the uh, early 90s when my call sign was NC0BMV. Uh, my son took the test at the same time. You weren't required to uh, know code for the technician's license. The code requirement has been removed altogether. So my son and I studied for uh, online, took the test, practiced the best way to learn to to pass the exam and you need to pass an exam to get your license is to do it either online take a practice test uh, also another uh, uh, great medium to use is is uh, Gordon West's books he puts out books on uh, passing passing the exams for tech general and extra at the time my son was I think he was I want to say he was 12. Yeah, I think it was like 12 years old. And he passed the exam uh, along with me uh, for the tech license. And uh, I was really kind of pissed because I ended up getting, as I said, my call sign was NC0BMV. And he got NC0BMW. It's like, damn, I've been a BMW motorcycle rider for many, many years. Um, and I was really disappointed that he got you got to have that. So when you get a ham radio license through the FCC, you you are awarded that license for it's it expires after ten years. So you have to remember to renew it. They won't call you up. The FCC doesn't go, "Hey, Mark, don't forget to renew your license." They assume you're not an idiot and you will remember to renew your license. I kind of went through phases with being active with ham radio. Uh, there's not as much to do with the tech license because the difference between the licenses refers to 
the 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 amount of bandwidth and the frequencies that you can you can actually talk on. So you can listen on anything. You know, anybody with no license can and any license can listen to anything. It's just shortwave listening. But to be able to actually transmit, you have to you have to comply with the frequency frequencies that you're allotted within the 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 confines of your license. So the most basic license is tech license. So you are allowed to um, you can do you can do code if you do know how to to do Morse code, which I highly encourage people to do. Uh, that being said, I have spent quite a bit of time trying to learn code and then and then forgetting everything because I get distracted. I do something else for a period of time, and then I have to start all over again. But the advantages of knowing Morse code is when the conditions aren't favorable for getting your voice or what's called phone over the airwaves, uh, it's a lot easier to discern Morse code, dits and das, than the spoken word because it's just a beep. It's a short dit or a da. And so you can decipher that, and it takes skill because you have to convert those dits and das, which you you ideally you learn to read as a rhythm and not counting the dits and das because you won't get very far with that. I found that out myself. Um, so you, you listen for the rhythm of it, and then you, uh, you can... Uh, some people can't, don't even need to write the code down. They can just listen to it like like a language. It's like another language. It's really pretty cool. And the skill to be able to send and receive Morse code is 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 pretty awesome. So uh, yeah, so the I got my tech license. I let it expire, and so I decided. Uh, you know, when we were going down to Arizona uh, over the past several years. Several years ago, I went to the, uh, it's called the, the Quartzite Ham Fest. So it's a gathering of ham radio operators that are also RVers. And uh, Quartzite is an area of Arizona that's, it's like an enormous BLM gravel parking lot. So it's all pretty much dirt out there, but uh, it's, and it, it can get muddy. So if it rains, it's, it's not ideal, but people with enormous motorhomes like big bluebird wander lodges and and uh, prevos and these really heavy buses and we we used to take our our motorhome which was a uh, 40 foot diesel pusher of four travel so um, I attended this a few years ago and I decided that I wanted to get it back into ham radio and uh, also it it was uh, the ideal way to uh, to communicate for uh, for overlanding, having used CB radio, which is just a joke. It's it's the worst option out there. Although a lot of people use them because a you don't need a license, and uh, b they're they're pretty inexpensive. But the range is extremely limited, and uh, it's really it's just a it's just a horrible medium to try and hear somebody. When you're, it's almost just pretty much line of sight, you know. Uh, even at 
on an open plain, you're lucky to be heard a couple miles away with a with a mobile unit, uh, even less with a handheld. So I got my technician license a few years ago. You're limited to uh, you can do the you know the small buffang, uh, the inexpensive handhelds. There are a lot better handhelds out there, but basically you're limited to to 70 centimeters and uh, and and two meter, which are the most popular two frequencies for you know UHF VHF, and uh, there are repeaters available. So in a way, if you can, if you're tech savvy, you can you can actually talk to people around the world using repeaters that go through the internet. So it's kind of it's kind of a hybrid. Uh, digital analog uh, situation. You can also uh, get on 10 meter. There's a certain amount of bandwidth that is a tech license. You can you can uh, talk on uh, communicate on 10 meter uh, frequency, but um, HF frequencies, which are the frequencies from 10 meters to 160 meters, um, those are open to uh, well, to 80 meters anyways, those are open to to the next level up uh, general. And the, the test for technician is the, it's, it's 35 questions out of a question pool of 360 questions that you have to answer uh, it, with, you have to have a passing score of at least 75%. So... Uh, you know, I, I when I got my tech license, I studied for I don't know a couple of months because I wanted to ace it, which I did. I I passed it with a hundred percent, and did the same with uh, with the general. Uh, studied a long time. My wife Renge, uh, I convinced her to get her tech license so that we could communicate with our HTs, or if we're away from the. The uh, you know when we're overlanding if somebody's out walking or whatever and there's no phone coverage, it works ideally. So we were at the Quartzite Hamfest when she decided she agreed to uh, to do it. Also for emergency use, like even at home when you're not overlanding, if the infrastructure goes down with uh, with the cell towers, if there's a, a natural disaster or God knows what else, the only thing that will work are ham radios using, you know, analog frequencies. Because the repeaters probably won't even work if the power's down, unless they've got an independent power source. Anyways, she, um, uh, Gordon West, uh, who wrote the books, was there, and he let her borrow the most recent edition of the tech manual for the most recent uh, question pool. So... She got the book about a week before the test. Uh, they were doing an exam with the, uh, the examiners that are authorized to do it uh, through the FCC and the ARRL, Amateur Radio Relay League. That's what ARRL stands for. So they were going to do the test. And at the same time, I was taking the test for my general. So I was kind of on her case about, you know, she was just like doing stuff around the motorhome and futzing around, talking to friends on phone. And so it was like three hours before her exam was going to happen and she hadn't even cracked the book. And I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. 
open the book, read each question because the questions are uh, you have a you have a question and then you have uh, multiple choice. You have four possible answers. I said in the book it's marked which one is the correct answer. I said don't read the question, but don't read all of the answers. Only read the correct answer. And she did that. And she did something. There's no way I would have been able to do that. My memory sucks. She's just so much smarter than me. She passed the test with she she had net, she had zero comprehension of of the the technical aspects of it and it doesn't matter because it's all about just just complying with the rule to to get the get the exam done and pass it and then you are qualified to get on the air cuz basically they want to make sure you know the rules CB radio, on the other hand, is like the wild, wild west. So people are just uh, there's no there's no accountability. There's anonymity. It's kind of like it's kind of like the worst part of the internet in forums and on Facebook with people just feeling like they can say things that essentially, if you said it to somebody's face, you'd you'd get you'd get your lights punched out. So um, yeah, there's just a lot more civility in amongst ham radio operators there's more there's still some jerks out there that uh kind of there's an etiquette about respect and a protocol to follow that there isn't with ham radio or other radio formats and uh there are people that i mean it used to be that that you know you you don't talk about religion unless it's a it's a net like a, a group that is a Christian group. They're getting together to talk about that. But you don't talk about controversial things like essentially religion and and politics, although people do. There, there are more conservative Republican types on ham radio than anything else because it seems to be populated mostly by older, older white guys that are Republicans. And there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what you are, but uh, to to be antagonistic and controversial on on the airwaves is, in my opinion, just really impolite and discourteous. So, uh, so what are the reasons that you would want to get a ham radio license? Um, one is is just to communicate with other individuals that you're driving with, and some people will buy the cheap buffeting radios, and they will they'll use them without a call sign without a license and i'm not okay with that it's it's yeah just just follow the rules it's not a big deal if my wife who has some of the lowest comprehension levels of anything technical of anybody i've ever met has the ability to pass the freaking test from reading the the question and answers the correct answer in a two and a half hour period and then take the test if she can do it anybody can do it and there's no excuse not to do it so communication with a group that you're traveling with uh the range is superior to all the other uh possibilities uh, you also have the ability to, if there is a repeater within reach, that means you can send your signal to the repeater on top of a mountain, and then it can be uh, rebroadcast at a higher 
um, at a higher wattage so that other people can hear or on the other side of the mountain that because the ra- the way the radio waves work for UHF VHF uh, for the um, the the shorter frequency they frequencies they they are pretty much line of sight when you get to do HF which is high frequency and like I said the 10 meter to 80 meter bandwidth then you can talk to people around the world with the right conditions it's called propagation and it kind of depends pretty much uh, for the most part on the state of uh, the solar uh, condition there's a solar minimum and a solar maximum at the minimum it ionizes the upper atmosphere less and so radio waves when the upper atmosphere is ionized the radio waves in hf frequency band can go up hit that layer and then bounce off and depending on uh, a lot of variation you can talk to people well i've been in quartzite in the motorhome and have talked to uh, uh, one of my most exciting contacts was a guy in uh, Magadan, Russia on the road of bones in, uh, in far Eastern Russia and had a, had a contact with him. I've talked to people in uh, Southern Argentina, down in Patagonia. Uh, I've talked to people in Japan from, from quartzite as well as people from all over the country. So the ideal setup for your rig is to have one or two handheld radios for when somebody's not in the rig but out exploring, scoping a road out, hiking, whatever, and then have a uh, a dual-band radio of UHF, VHF, which is 2-meter, 70-centimeter radio with an external antenna Uh, a mobile unit that can be up to um you know up to like 40 watts of uh, of power the little handhelds only have five to seven watts of power and of course the more wattage you have the farther the stronger your signal can be and the farther the range can be for your communication so i try and encourage people to consider thinking about going to the general license, which really wasn't, it wasn't that much harder than doing the uh, technician's test, but you have to take the tech first, then you can do the general and then uh, to the, uh, uh, to the extra. I haven't gotten the extra because it, it, there's quite a few more questions about math and equations. And I am basically math lexic. I hate math. I'm just so bad at it that I, I'm fine with just staying at general, but uh, you can still talk to people around the world with general, and I have. So consider going to the general license because you can have uh, a ham radio, mobile ham radio in your rig that not only will allow you to communicate with the with the dual band, with UHF, VHF, but also an HF frequency that you can talk to people uh, by bouncing the signal off of the ionosphere. So you have the ability to, when you're in camp, and I've done this, and it's really fun, uh, to uh, set up your rig or use the, the, the system, the, the base station or the mobile station that is installed in your rig itself 
I have an HF rig that is separate from the rig. I have a uh, dual band UHF VHF uh, over the mirror, um, over the windshield of my sportsmobile van with a antenna mounted uh, out by the hood. Um, but when I talk UHF, I set up a carbon fiber uh, ex- a telescoping mast, antenna mast, and I run an N-fed wire up to that. And then I run 100 watts out to a, uh, I use a goal zero battery to power the amplifier uh, so that it boosts the signal from, uh, boosts the power from 5 watts for my radio up to, uh, amplifies it to 100 watts so that I can speak to people. So it's a, it's just another thing to do at camp that's kind of fun. If you have time, I frequently find myself either cooking or setting up a fire or dealing with a dog or talking. But uh, I have brought the ham radio out in the field, and it's really kind of fun to be out in the middle of nowhere just powered by by the rig you've got there and talk to people God knows where, you know. And um, that can be a, a, you know, it can be a fun hobby, a standalone hobby in and of itself. I I have the radio in the rig. I've got another portable radio, like I said, that I've used to speak uh, on the HF frequencies. But I've got a base station in my office uh, studio here where I do the podcast. And uh, I frequently talk to people all over the place here. And I've got a, uh, I've got a fairly tall, vertical, multi, multi-band vertical antenna outside mounted on elevated uh, about 20 feet up for the start of the antenna so it's it's kind of up there it's pretty decent antenna but there you can you can go crazy with this i mean you can you can get really involved with the uh with the whole hobby and there's a lot of different directions to go uh you can include it with hiking uh there's an activity that i participate in called summits on the air where you hike up to the top of the mountain with your gear and the whole goal is to go as light as you possibly can. My my uh, uh, low-power 5-watt radio, I've talked to people from Arizona all the way to Florida and New Jersey with. Because when you're on the top of the mountain, it's like having the world's tallest antenna. So the higher up you can get that signal sending out, uh, the, the, the better chance you are of being received so I set up my antenna, and uh, I'll, I'll do a call out uh, for uh, for people to contact, and you can get awards uh, in the context of the the soda, the summits on the air uh, for 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 activating a mountain, and uh, uh, people that call in, they'll log in at your website. So. There's a lot you can do with it. You can get into the digital aspect of it. You can get into the code aspect of it. Uh, and there's a lot of different directions. You can get involved with emergency, other groups that are involved with the um, with emergency uh, communications. You can provide uh, communications for events like uh, marathons or bike races or things of that nature, big events, uh, county fairs, that sort of stuff. Uh, you're also set up to go if uh, if emergency communications is needed in your local area if you have a natural disaster, if I mentioned before. Um, so another 
aside from ham and CB, uh, there's two other options that you can go with. One is the uh, uh, FRS radios. They're pretty limited in terms of power. They're really inexpensive. You don't need a license for the FRS family radio system. Uh, GMRS requires a license, but I'm trying to remember. I, I believe it's 60 or $70 through the FCC to purchase the license, and uh, there's no exam re required. You don't need to take an exam for it. Uh, in my opinion, if you don't want to go the ham radio route, GMRS is the next best thing because it's basically, you know, it, it operates on, on uh, UHF frequencies, and uh, there are, in some locations, uh, there's not as many locations that have repeaters, but there are repeaters in some locations for GMRS. Uh, the radios are more expensive than than the uh, FR, the little cheap FRS radios that you see at Walmarts and, and Cabela's and so forth. Um, if you're just doing short distances, the, F, the little handheld FRS radios work. Um, that's going to be your least expensive option for communication. The GMRS radios are, um, uh, they're generally ruggedly built. And um, uh, Radio Oddity has one of the nicest uh, GMRS uh, mobile radios out there. And you want to use an external antenna on your vehicle. That'll really help with the range. Yeah, the, the, the Radio Oddity one, I think, is, the, is one of the nicest radios out there. It's the most capable. It's the most powerful and uh, the, the best bang for, for the buck. The Midland range of GMRS radios are are well made. They're even more compact. They're really small. You can mount them on your dash. And there's a uh, cigarette lighter, 12 volt plug-in, and it comes with an external um, magnetic roof antenna. They start at ninety nine dollars. I think they go up for the for the um, the lowest power one. I'm trying to remember what the lowest power one is. I think it's it's either 5 or 10 watts, and then they go up to like uh, 40 watts, I want to say. And the price goes up commensurate with that. I think the most uh, powerful Midland radio is, I want to say they're $200. So kind of similar price-wise uh, for what you're getting to getting a decent ham radio, although the little handheld buffangs can be as cheap as you can find them on Amazon for as cheap as like 40 bucks. So um, that's probably your your you know an itemization of your of all your options uh, for communication uh, in terms of radios. In terms of cell, I uh, bit the bullet a few years ago. I think it was about three years ago. I finally uh, justified to myself um, the expense and there to get the top of the line. Uh, cell signal booster out there is is fairly expensive i i paid about 500 or so dollars uh the best ones out there there's some cheaper ones that i thought about getting because i'm essentially cheap at heart but um the the best the only one to really consider that's worth spending the money on otherwise you're just throwing your money away is the we boost i mentioned this at the we boost booth at the um 
2022 Pacific Northwest Overland Expo that was uh, happened here in Redmond, and uh, I interviewed them for a little bit. But uh, basically, you want to get the most expensive, highest gain amplifier and antenna. And you see these antennas a lot on uh, overland vehicles these days. For me, because our business is so phone dependent, we have a recumbent uh, bicycle shop, bike and trike shop, and almost everybody that buys anything in our shop calls us first and asks questions. And we work on appointments so that I can get out and and do more traveling by, uh, by our sportsmobile van. And so I justified the expense in terms of business as I can answer uh, phone calls from individuals that are calling me in the middle of nowhere. And literally, I mean, I have compared this to like turning the thing off in the vehicle so that it's it's not operating and I will have no service. It'll just, I'll have zero bars. Or I might have one bar, but it won't connect to make a call. And I'll turn this thing on and sometimes it's a little fussy. You have to, sometimes I'll have to hit airplane mode on my phone and turn the, if the, if the unit is on and it's not getting as many bars as I think it should, I'll turn the phone, I won't turn the phone off, but I'll put it on airplane mode and then I'll turn the uh, WeBoost off and then I'll, I'll reboot them both. I'll turn the we boost back on, and then I'll take the phone off of airplane mode, so it will search, and it will, it'll go sometimes from not really getting any signal to up to like three or four bars. I mean, literally, I've been in places where I can't even really get a call through, and we can stream Netflix. So it's uh, it's definitely worth it in terms of if you need to be in touch with family. If you need to be in touch with your business, if you need to get online to stream your latest overlanding YouTube video that you've just edited, all kinds of perks for having that system. There's the exterior antenna, which is, uh, some people have come up to me and said, is that a a flamethrower? Because it's a black cylindrical unit on top of a on top of, of a shaft that mounts to we have it mounted to the back door of our van like you, like I said you, you're seeing them a lot on overlanding vehicles out there just because of the the, the value that they they bring um, but the other the other advantage is is the safety advantage inherent in that if uh, if you've got a cell signal and you have a breakdown, it's uh, it's one way that you can very quickly call for help or rescue. The other thing that so that that's basically kind of an outline of the um, of the the WeBoost. Um, oh, I was going to tell you. So basically, the components are: you have an external antenna, you have the um, the amplifier, and I mount that behind my seat with Velcro uh, stuck to the end of where the couch is, just behind the driver's seat. Then there's an internal antenna. It's a little rectangular plastic thing. You know, they'll tell you, yeah, you got to be within like three feet of it. It's like, uh-uh. It, your best signal 
always is to have that phone very close to that to that little internal antenna because the the signal outside the vehicle pulls the signal to the the um, amplifier. Then from the amplifier, it has to go to the little interior antenna, and that's what your phone links up to. So I have my phone mounted in an X grip RAM mount right next to that um, on the center console, and uh, I can easily just be driving along and just have it on speaker mode. Uh, we also can do the hotspot to our iPad when we want to just be going online or streaming anything in the back because the hotspot has more range than the WeBoost internal antenna does. So the last thing I'll talk about is emergency communication through satellite. So satellite phone is one option. It's a very expensive option. The satellite phone prices have come down, but they're still pretty expensive. And uh, that's not where the largest expense lie. The uh, biggest expense with them is per minute. They're, just, they're dollars, like seven bucks a minute or whatever. And you might be able to find a cheaper uh, program, but uh, I know it's quite expensive overall. And I think a, a less, much less expensive option is what, uh, what I use, and that is the uh, Garmin InReach. And they have a Garmin InReach Mini that links up to your phone. The best way to use mine, it's not the Mini, but I, I do. It's pretty cumbersome. It's old school texting, and you can text. And you can uh, also, it's also an emergency locator beacon, so you can just hit SOS, and it'll send the signal to Garmin. It requires a subscription. I think I pay, I want to say I pay like 15 bucks a month for it and it allows me so many texts but for months and months and months I don't use it at all uh, for texting but when I'm motorcycle touring when I'm overlanding in the van by myself uh, which doesn't happen nearly as much usually Ringay's with me but uh, when I'm backpacking when I'm uh, backcountry skiing uh, when I'm uh, paddling sailing uh, this ability to text my wife when I'm, I've got to camp during the day and let her know that I'm here, I'm camped, everything's good, all safe, didn't crash, haven't died yet. So we'll, uh, we'll, have some, we'll usually have some conversations about you know, what the day was like and how far I rode or whatever, what I'm having for dinner, what she's having for dinner, and uh, then we'll say goodnight. So it's a really nice way to keep in touch with those at home so that they don't worry about you. You can get a premium uh, uh, subscription, which gives you weather and some other perks. So highly recommend either the... Um, I've had the Spot Beacon before the Garmin inReach, and now I, I have the Garmin. Um, I had one of the... I think it was the first or second generation of the Spot Beacons, and um, they don't allow you to to communicate other than it's just strictly a communication uh, or a, an emergency locator beacon uh, that sends out your GPS location so that you can be rescued. Um, they, the spot has updated. They now have, uh, there's several, uh, several units out there. There's like Zolio, there's spot that works very much like the Garmin, but I have the Garmin and, uh, and I like it. I have it on a Ram mount with a suction cup mount 
kind of center of this the windshield and uh, just just above the dash uh, on, uh, in our van. So there you have it. It's one of our shorter episodes at 37 minutes. And uh, so uh, I hope that has helped a little bit with your, uh, uh, if you haven't gotten any, moved in the direction of getting any communication devices, these are my thoughts about them, things that I find have worked for us and can be fun to boot. So thanks for joining us for another episode of Wheel Adventures, and we look forward to talking to you next time.